Friends, whether it's, uh, whether it's fiction or fantasy or even for real, uh, battle scenes are big business in Hollywood. And while, while those are big business, the less recognized, but I think uh, much more difficult to achieve, are the speeches that immediately precede said battles. You see, while battles in film, they can rely on green screen technology, incredible fancy work with computers, or even incredible cinematography, pre-battle speeches require actresses or actors to simply portray the levels and layers of feeling that are embedded in such speeches. All, all while, by the way, not overselling it. So they have to provide for you the layers of meaning and they can't oversell it. They require the right amount of genuineness, the right amount of motivation, the right amount of kind of steely resolve that would somehow uh, empower those characters to go into battle and, and for us as an audience to somehow believe it. Hey, I just wanna say, it, uh, there was a poll out on HC Community. I was just curious, like what are the best pre-battle speeches according to you, Holy Cross? And so thankful for those of you who have answered back. I'm, I'm gonna give you kind of my top 10. I'm not gonna give you all 10, but at least, at least some of the top pre-battle speeches in film that I think uh, really rise to the top. Uh, the first one, the first one is Herb Brooks's speech in the movie Miracle. Now, some of you are like, hold on, that's hockey. Uh, that's true, that is true, but in the Olympics in 1984, that was a big deal, and it was like a small little war on ice. And Coach Brooks's speech before that final hockey game was incredible. The second one is President Whitmore, his speech in the movie Independence Day. Uh, he tries to rally all the world together to fight against aliens who are trying to annihilate all of Earth to once again reclaim independence and freedom. There is, of course, Maximus Decimus Meridius, whose speech, kind of at the very beginning of the movie, his speech about simply returning to the family farm and him smelling some dirt is enough to rally his own troops to conquer Germania in that movie called Gladiator. Now, of course, my favorite, this isn't going to come as a shock to, to most of you, but is, is Aragorn's speech in The Return of the King as he's at the Black Gates in the lands of Mordor. His speech to rally the last things because they think Frodo is dead is by and large my favorite. Now, special mention, because I feel weird if I don't, is a blue-faced Mel Gibson who of course is fighting for Scottish freedom over and against England. Every one of these speeches instills something into the characters, but also to us as listeners. Each of those speeches instills things like, like courage and strength, hope and faith, and all of those things, friends, all of those things are required for the battle that lies ahead. Now, friends, we're, we're in week number three of our series called Body Image, and we are exploring God's church, uh, His gathering of saints, the faith family. We're, we're trying to understand what it means to be the body of Christ, what it means to be a broken people who are beautifully restored in the gospel, 
what it means, what it means to be fully present with one another. And today we'll continue to explore the value, the value, the hard fought value that is commitment, even if it means our discomfort. You see, St. Paul, he's wrapping up his letter to sisters and brothers in the church at Ephesus, which we heard Dan read just moments ago. And, and those kind of final verses of Ephesians chapter six, they are Paul's speech. They're his pre-battle speech. And it's a speech not, not so much directed at individual Christians, though uh, individual Christians have a part to play. This is a speech that is delivered to the body of Christ. Uh, to the gathering of saints. It's a speech directed at the broken and yet beautiful family of faith. It is a speech that is directed at you and me in our togetherness. Uh, But unlike the speeches of William Wallace or Maximus Meridian or even Aragorn, this speech from Paul is not intended to catapult us into battle, but rather it is a speech that asks us to stand together, committed to one another, even when it means our own discomfort. So let's get to that pre-battle speech. You will need a Bible this morning, uh, paper, digital, doesn't matter, the Bible that you brought, the one that's in the pew, and we're gonna go to Ephesians chapter six, uh, beginning at verse 10. Ephesians chapter six, beginning at verse 10. So that's in the God Eats Popcorn section of the New Testament, right, or General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Some of you are catching up, right? So Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six, uh, beginning at verse, verse number 10. Now, as you get there, a really, really brief synopsis of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, the first half of his letter, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is really about the work of Christ to bring us back from the dead. The first half of Ephesians is really about the work of Christ to bring us, humanity, back from the dead. Paul says that we are dead in sin. In in chapter two of Ephesians, he says it this way, uh, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace, St. Paul says, that you have been saved. That sort of wraps up the, the kind of the theme of the first three chapters of Ephesians. Now, the last three chapters, the second half of Ephesians, is really about our response to the first half of Ephesians. It's our response to being made alive in Christ. Uh, The second part of Ephesians really shows us how we are to live as redeemed sinners, as broken and restored people, uh, both as individuals, but also what it means to be the body of Christ. And so when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, we are in the midst of what it means then to live out this life, and specifically what it means to live out this new life that we have in Christ as the body of Christ. So here we go, verse 10, chapter six. Remember, uh, just before we get in, remember how you start 
this sort of pre-battle speech. It'll set the tone for the rest, and truthfully, whether or not people are going to continue to listen to what you have to say. So how does Paul begin? Here he goes. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Yes, right? I mean, at first glance, that's like, yes, all right. Paul is getting there. This is power and might and strength. Like, we can rally behind that. But uh, here's the thing. Uh, There's something here we need to catch. There's a subtlety here that I think is hard to grasp kind of in our English translation. So let me give you a, a slightly different English translation. It says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Clearer? (laughs) Some of you are like, nope, not at all, Pastor. It sounds the same to me. All right, let me give you one more. Let me give you one more. Here it is, uh, last translation. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord in the strength of his might. All right, so so why all the rigmarole and the words and translations? Great, great question. Thank you so much for asking. Let me tell you, as St. Paul preps his church for battle, he starts with something that sounds like power and it sounds like might and it sounds like strength, but in truth, he is saying subtly to our ears, probably not so subtly to the hearers of his day, he's saying basically, as you go into the battle, You don't have what it takes to win. Like that rallies the troops, right? Like, hey, you're going to get steamrolled. Let's go. Like that's what he's saying subtly, subtly to our ears, right? The the word be strong in the Lord is really, this is going to be more than you need, but it's a grammar nerd here. So for those of you who love grammar, you're welcome. It is a present passive, which means, which means the strength to win this battle cannot come from within us. We are passive. We are being acted upon. In other words, the strength has to come from somewhere else. So Paul's saying, Paul is saying, hey, listen, by the way, as you get ready, uh, you're going to get killed. Awesome. Like, we're in it, right? We're in it. So why this? He's basically saying, listen, you don't have the strength. You're far too weak. The battle's coming, and you're going to lose. But here's the thing, church, and this is worth writing down or underlining or highlighting or putting into your phone, however you want to think about it. This is key. According to St. Paul, the first step to winning the battle is acknowledging that you can't. That winning the battle cannot come from within you. Which is counter to how most of us think. Like if we just muster up enough strength, right? We got it in us to get through whatever we need to. St. Paul is saying, teaching to you and me, That if we want to get into this battle in order to win, the first thing we have to admit and acknowledge is that we can't. Yet, yet, simultaneously resting in the knowledge of God's strength, of his might, and of his power. You see, his might, his power, his strength has been the cry of God's people throughout all of the scriptures. In fact, if we were to go back to the praises that are found in the book of Psalms, this is what we'd read. Things like, let all who take refuge in you, God, rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them. 
Let all who love your name be filled with joy, for you bless the godly Lord. Listen, you surround them with the shield of your love. Or another psalm, for you have been my refuge. You've been my strong tower against the foe. Or again, O oh my strength, to you I sing, O God, because you are my refuge. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is the source of my hope. Fast forward to the prophet Zechariah. He's proclaiming God's word to this man named Zerubbabel. And Zechariah, speaking the words of God, says, it is not by force or by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that you will move forward. In other words, we should hear, it's not by your might, nor your strength, but only by the spirit of God that we get to move forward. This is all over the Old Testament and in the New. You get the picture. The best way into the battle church is for us to believe collectively that we don't have what it takes, but we have one who knows what it takes. So let's get to verse 11, which let me just say again up front, in some ways doesn't really get better, but, but here we go anyway. So Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Keep going, verse 13. Put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. Now there's there's a couple things I want us to pick up as Paul continues in his speech. Number one, St. Paul is in no doubt, uh, nor should we be, by the way, that there is a very real battle happening presently, a spiritual battle that is presently happening. And the battleground of this particular battle is the mind and the body and the heart of every human being. You see, not not only is the enemy of God trying to steal your heart and your life away from Jesus, but the enemy of God is also trying to steal the hearts of your kids and of your parents and of your spouses and of your friends and of your colleagues and of your neighbors. See, the enemy of God is driven to take ground And that ground is the heart, mind, and body of every single person. There is no doubt in St. Paul's mind, nor should there be in ours, that there is a very real spiritual battle happening presently. Second thing we need to pick up is we need to adorn ourselves in the battle armor of God so that we can stand Do you notice the number of times that Paul says stand? Like if you just go back there for a second and just underline or circle or highlight all of the places that Paul says stand, it it begs some questions. Because because most often, right, uh, once a pre-battle speech is given, uh, the army, the hockey team, the world, right, they advance against the enemy. They engage in some kind of offensive, but, but St. Paul doesn't suggest that we advance. Uh, St. Paul doesn't suggest that we should go on the offensive, 
No, St. Paul's suggestion is that we just stand there. Just stand. Don't move. Just stand there. Again, like if I'm ranking this on the best kind of pre-battle speeches, I, I honestly don't yet know how to rank this bad boy. But now, now, quick word here. Just hang on, quick word. A word about the battle armor in which we adorn ourselves or which we are adorned. Uh, St. Paul, I think, is drawing this imagery from two different sources. First, we should remember that St. Paul is writing the book of Ephesians from prison. Uh, He is seeing, as he writes this, and has seen, no doubt, one or two or 40 Roman soldiers. And Roman soldiers fit for battle are a force to be reckoned with, right? They come complete with shield and helmet and sword and breastplate, that is true. But beyond just the Roman soldier imagery, the images that Paul draws to mind actually comes out of the ancient word of God's people, specifically through the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, in chapter 11, the prophet is, is sort of giving promise to the coming Messiah, the one who is going to conquer, the one who is going to win the battle. So, in Isaiah 11, this is how Isaiah says it. He says, he, that is the Messiah, the one coming, he will give justice to the poor, and he'll make fair decisions for the exploited. Now, listen. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt, and truth will be his undergarment. You see, that that sounds like a soldier who's going to make an offensive, who's going to advance in the battle. Again, Isaiah chapter 59 Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah will, he will put on righteousness as a breastplate, he'll put on a helmet of salvation on his head, he puts on garments of vengeance for his clothing, and he wraps himself in zeal as a cloak. Now, I I could go on through the prophet Isaiah, needless to say, St. Paul is gathering his imagery from the rich word of God, and specifically, a picture of the Messiah the one who will defeat the enemy, the one who will overcome the grave, the one who will be seated on the heavenly throne, the one who is willing to stand so that you and I, you and I might be adorned in this beauty. You see, friends, the reality is here. Paul needs us to see that as the body of Christ And because Christ is the head of this body, you and I have nothing in ourselves to win the battle. But because we are the body of Christ and because Christ is the head, you and I are adorned with the same armor as the Messiah. You and I have righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation and a sword which is the Word of God. By the power of his spirit, he, he will help us stand. Friends, it's interesting, actually, that Rome, as we think about her conquering of most of the worlds, 
Uh, Most scholars and historians agree that Rome conquered the world not by their ability to advance, but simply by their ability to stand, to wait it out. Uh, Made famous in the Roman military was the Roman shield wall. Uh, It looks like this. It's soldiers coming together, committed to standing together shoulder to shoulder, using the armor that they have been adorned with to simply stand. This, historians and scholars tell us, is how Rome conquered the world. Not by their advancement, but by their ability to stand. See, Paul is saying to the body of Christ, to you and me, to this broken people who have been beautifully restored in the gospel, who gift one another presence, you and I are called to stand, wearing the armor of God, so that you and I can stand like this against the spiritual onslaught from the principalities of darkness all while knowing we don't have what it takes. But if we're going to stand, friends, if we're going to stand like this, if the church is to stand like this, then it's going to require commitment over comfort. See, the reality is, if one of those soldiers decided that their comfort was more important than their commitment, the whole group becomes vulnerable. If one of those people decides, like, I'm out, like, I I ain't going to risk it, the whole group becomes vulnerable. To stand together in the battle is to allow commitment one to another to trump our comfort. Now friends, we we go into this battle standing with the armor of God, committed one to another. And in sort of a parting word, Paul says to you and me, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, stay aware, and keep on praying. Part of the way we are committed to one another is to pray for one another. And I'd, I'd love to tell you that my, my life in Christ and my spiritual maturity has made sure that I've prayed all the times that I said I would. But I've but I got to be honest, uh, there have been plenty of times where my own comfort trumps my commitment to pray. There have been plenty of people who have asked me to pray for them, and I'd say things like, absolutely, I'll, I'll make sure to do that, but have never returned to it because I was, you know, tired or busy, or hungry. And so my own comfort trumps my commitment to you, to God's people. But I suspect that I'm not the only person for whom this is true. See, we're called to stand in it together, to pray for one another, to be committed over our comfort. And truth be told, I don't do it perfectly. Truth be told, you won't do it perfectly. But thanks be to God that we have a Savior who's willing to 
stand, who's willing to hang, to forego his own comfort, stretch on the wood of Calvary, to forego his own comfort, to be committed to the plan of the Father, so that you and I, dead in our trespasses, might be raised to new life. Jesus gets it right all the time. My friends, we are adorned in Him if we are raised in Him. And so we go into this world, really, we go into our homes and our neighborhoods committed to each other, committed to this crazy community of broken people, but yet beautifully restored, committed to offering our full presence to one another, committed to stand shoulder to shoulder so that we, by the power of God's Spirit, can quench every flaming arrow of the evil one. We do that not because we have it in us, but because we have Jesus. You know, it's interesting, in one of, the, one of the hymns of the church, great hymn of the church, written by Luther himself, uh, he picks up on this theme in Ephesians 6. So this is from his uh, famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and this is, this is verse 3. Here's, here's how Luther says it. He says, though devils all the world should fill, all of them eager to devour us, we tremble not, and we fear no ill. They, those devils, they shall not overpower us. See, this world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none because he's judged and the deed is done. He closes the verse by saying, one little word can fell the enemy. That word is Jesus. So friends, as we head out, we head out without anything in us <laughs> except Jesus. And in Him, and with Him, and through Him, we will stand. To God be the glory. Amen? Amen. And so may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ today and every day. Amen.